0: Hi, everyone. Mind rolling. Raghu, I'm back. And I'm back with Tara Brock. And Tara, welcome to the show.
1: Oh, I am so delighted to be with you, Raghu.
0: So I have been, you know, trying to get with Tara literally for years because we have so much in common. And we have, as I just said to her when we got on, so many beloveds in common. So I am truly happy to have you and I don't think there's anybody out there that doesn't know who you are. But uh, basically, um, in the tradition of uh, now, you all—all all of you out there know Jack Cornfield and Sharon Salzberg and Joseph Goldstein and. Can I put you in that tradition, Tara, of mindfulness and loving kindness?
1: All dearly beloved colleagues and friends, yes.
0: Okay, good. So uh and we're gonna talk about a couple of things today, but uh Radical Compassion, which is uh Tara's new book. Fairly new, right?
1: Yeah, pretty freshly new, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So and uh we're um we're also gonna talk about um I'll mention it right now, Tara and uh, Jack are doing a wonderful, very intensive teacher training, meditation teacher training course that is a two-year deal, and it is very intensive. Jack described it to me a couple of weeks ago, uh, and the kind, I mean, is it not true that... um, the kind of people that you have that are going to come on and and be able to uh, interface with the potential teachers are of quite a interesting caliber. Uh, in, um, who are some of the people that are going to come along?
1: Well, we have a uh, wonderful guest, uh, teachers Eckhart Tolle, Eckhart
0: is going to be there, yeah.
1: Kristen Neff and Dan Siegel and Dan. Rich Hansen, and it's it's a star studded cast. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Yeah, and
1: up. we have a current ho- cohort right now, about 1,400 people that are um, come from 50 different countries around the globe and also very diverse. And we're excited that we're going to be able to offer an increasing number of scholarships to people of color. And we're mm. getting in young and it, it's just, uh,
2: mm.
1: it's thrilling. And there are people that are bringing the Dharma into everywhere you know it's it's amazing to me what they're doing whether it's um you know the nonprofit sector corporations prison schools it's beautiful
0: yeah and shall we say it's somewhat needed in these times oh my gosh these, oh god is right oh yeah boy so uh but everybody uh we will put a link in the show notes i'm saying this right off the get-go so everybody has a chance to uh to uh, chase the link to find out exactly uh, all of what this two-year course is comprised of. And, uh, and then you can decide whether or not something you want to do. And uh, of course, this book, everything else will be linked there. So Tara, can you tell me, and this is one of my openers with people that I have not met before or have not chatted with on a podcast. And uh, when I first started this podcast, I talked about the things that um, I was up against when I was young. Mm. And I mean all the way back to my teen years and the, the feelings that I had then of it was kind of desperation was a little bit of what was going on because I just could not accept what was being delivered to me as to what I had to do in this world to conform. And I, I became a, a major rebel, of course, a hippie and got into psychedelics, which helped save me, actually. Um, but uh, it, 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 it took quite a few different um, um, phenomena to allow me to see that there was a path simply to even just be happy because I was so unhappy. So can you tell us your involvement where suddenly the light shone about a path that you could tread on?
1: You know, when I was um, in college, I was aiming to go to, I was going to go to Cornell Law School and follow my father's footsteps. He was very much of a a social activist type, and and so was I. And so I was very involved um, in the early 70s. Um, in activism, and then i I took a yoga class, and um, the contrast of the kind of animosity and aggression when I'd go to a meeting that was a planning meeting for whatever action we were going to take, and then the the inner quiet, and I realized that the world that we wanted to create really needed to come from the awakened heart. and so that. Uh, that brought me right into an ashram. I, I went from there into living in an ashram for about a decade.
0: Really? <laughs> what, what ashram?
1: It was a Sikh ashram. And oh. uh, Kundalini yoga and meditation and that kind of thing. And then I went from that to uh, Buddhist practice. Um, the the other strong current ragu was very aligned with what you were describing, which was um, my inner life. I, I was caught in what I, I now know is that trance of unworthiness you know i Mm. i really hated myself in so many ways i hated my body and i hated the way i was in relationship and you know i just was so down on myself and it really drove me to finding a path of of self-compassion and mindfulness that could um let me be at home with myself Mm. and of course that had you know as soon as you begin to be tender towards yourself the Mm space of the heart widened. So it was a really, uh, that was a critical piece, was was really finding some healing from the trance of unworthiness.
0: Mm -hmm. And it speaks to all of us that those wounds are possibilities. And it's, I know, hard for all of us to see it that way. Ram used to talk about Suffering brings me closer to God, which is a much more broad statement, and I think we can all relate to the wounds that we had uh, as as potentially i mean I've talked to people who grew up in the most fantastic and I think you grew up in a pretty healthy family right
1: It was very reasonable my mother was <laughs> um my mother was now a practicing alcoholic for a lot of my youth, and so that was that had its its own circling of of suffering, uh, you know, really affected my younger siblings more than me. And my father was a, you know, workaholic attorney and they're both very socially involved. They they looked healthy. They were very, you know, loving, kind, bright people. And there was thick with neurosis. So so <laughs> I had my own stuffed untangle, you know. Yeah, right. But yeah, reasonably healthy.
0: Yeah. But that's the the truth is that we all get stuff to untangle, which seems to be part of the raison d'etre for our coming in to get uh, cleaned up. So, uh, and therein, so this book is chock full of great, great uh, wisdom, Tara. And uh, I, I'm just picking up on a few of these things. And one of them was, your, it's a, you refer to our protective coverings because we have these traumas and then we create a story that we tell ourselves to protect ourselves from all of the projections of fear and so on. And boy, is it relevant to, to right now because, I mean, I, they're not here right now, but I'm staying with friends in New York, right? Conscious people, been Buddhist, you know, all their lives are devotees of Nimkaroli Karoli Baba. They're getting out they've they've bought a whole pile of food that they're storing in case and i'm like really i mean you're you know so we're having a little back and forth about this uh, so uh, what is going on is of course creating a gigantic um, platform for us to express our fear that's not just about this virus and not just about you know, the survival stuff which comes up immediately here, and uh, and our individual separateness shows its face. Uh, but you, you referred to these protective coverings as our ego spacesuit. I, I love that because I, I don't know if you know, Ramdash used to talk about spacesuit all the time, the different identities that we take on. So, talk about the ego spacesuit that we create in protection.
1: Well. I think the classic kind of image is that we come into this planet and it's hard stuff for all of us, whether it's our own personal upbringing or the culture we're in, which is, you know, racist and addicted and speedy and over consuming and all of that. And so, in order to protect ourselves, in order to, in some way, Get what we want, the approval and love we want, and protect ourselves against the harshness of it. We all take on ego personalities, and with that, you know, their defensiveness and aggression. And the suffering is that we identify as that covering and we forget who's looking through the mask. You know, we forget what I, the gold, you know, we forget the goodness. And that I, th- I think of the whole spiritual path really as one of waking up from that small, deficient, separate identity and realizing our, our shared belonging, our oneness, our the loving awareness that's really our source. You are so right in describing, we are in a, a real spike of fear right now. Just, you know, our nervous systems feel it around the world and it is beyond the particulars of, of this virus. And more than anything, you know, when we're in our primitive reactivity, it's fight-flight-freeze. We get all identified with the spacesuit. And the power of the spiritual path is to notice that's happening and to really activate the the frontal cortex, the more recently evolved parts of our brain and the integrated brain so that we can remember who we are. And I think a lot, Raghu, in terms of... Our evolution um, and I talk about the sum and radical compassion how you know in, in, in uh, from an evolutionary perspective um, we spent millions of years in fight fight freeze <laughs> you know millions of years and it was only the last 10 or 20,000 years that we actually began to expand caring beyond our kin groups so that we we really cared about and would respond to the suffering of others but that's kind of fragile, that recently developed brain. And we right. so quickly regress. So we're in a kind of limbic hijack right now globally. And
0: limbic hijack, I love it.
1: Yeah, and we, and we need to be the ones to help to remember.
0: Yeah. yeah that's, uh, that's our only instructions, by the way, from Neem Karoli Baba. Love, serve, remember. Yeah. <laughs> that's all we got. And, and it's, it's so true. It's, it's holding up, right? Um, but, uh, let's talk about fear because, uh, this is, I mean, we're right in the thick of it, uh, obviously and with um, all borders being closed and so on and so forth. Um, and in the book you do talk about you know, awakening from the grip of fear. Um, and, and there's one, one thing, if you don't mind, I would just like to read, a, uh, this little passage that you wrote. Uh, if you're feeling trapped in pain, the, um, you might discover the resistance surrounding the pain, a fear of actually feeling your fear that keeps suffering locked in place. I and mean, that's uh, that's really wonderful. Uh, when we pull away from fear and other painful emotions, we also pull away from our full presence and vitality. We pull away from our intelligence, creativity, and capacity for love. And I think it you know it may be hard for people you know is this too intellectual a thing how can I actually you know activate uh, this this other place which you the gold I, I like that we talk about the gold so that I am not resisting I mean and this is in every part of our lives but as you said that uh, what's going on now is so over overwhelming for so many all of us. I mean all of us. So that that, that knee-jerk survival thing from Cro-Manion man just it surfaces in a way that's very, very difficult. Yeah. So yeah, let's talk about um, that resistance and you know how to how to deal with that resistance.
1: It's it's probably the most important question because unprocessed fear is what leads us to violence. And we need to be able to process fear both in our own body minds with each other and also on a societal level. And in that same chapter you're reading from, there's a a wise sage who had one question that he invited people to reflect on. And that is, what are you unwilling to feel? And so um, through the book, what I offer is a kind of pathway for waking up through difficult emotions like fear using the acronym RAIN which I know many of your many of your listeners are familiar with and so I'll give you an example of how to work with resistance using RAIN and RAIN is uh, it means recognize is the R recognize what's happening right now and the A is to allow it and it doesn't mean that you have to like it and it doesn't mean that you have to um, you know end up in some way thinking it's going to be this way for the rest of your life but allow means to pause enough just to let it be and i often will say when there's a strong wave of experience this belongs just like um you know a wave in the ocean belongs let it be and then the eye of rain is to investigate and the misunderstanding about investigate is that it's cognitive because it's primarily somatic and that's where we end up learning to relax resistance, and it's a training. It's a training because we are reflexively dissociative. <laughs> we reflexively leave the fear. So we have to learn to come into feeling the throat, the chest, and the body. And I invite people to kind of put their hand where they feel it, and they're with that hand, they're directing attention there. And um, there's a willingness. You can't will yourself to feel, but you can be willing to place attention as well as possible. And when you can really feel the feeling and the vulnerability, the end of rain is to nurture, which means you actively offer care. Um, often I'll say, It's okay, sweetheart, or, you know, in some way offer kindness. The follow up to rain is what I call after the rain, which is where we actually just rest and notice the presence that has aroused. Because, for instance, with fear, initially when we're starting, we're identified as a fearful self, that we are the, we're living in the spacesuit. We are the spacesuit. And when we rest in that presence, we become the awareness and the love that's really shining through inside and outside. And maybe what I'll do is just give you an example of, me using rain recently
0: Great, around here
1: that that would be okay. Yeah,
0: please, please. Um,
1: the, I have uh, an upcoming conference that actually has been canceled, but that I was getting increasingly anxious about because I couldn't pull together what really felt like what I really wanted to say. And so, I would uh, I often walk by the river here, and I'd go down to the river and do rain. And I'd I'd recognize, okay, anxiety, anxiety, and allow it, let it be there. And with investigating, you can start off with a little bit of cognitive. For instance, what am I believing right now? That's a really powerful question. And so I'll sense, oh, I'm believing that I'm going to fail, I'm going to fall, you know, I'm going to not perform well, I'm not going to reach people, I'm not going to be liked, you know, that kind of thing. And so I'd sense that and then I'd say, how does that feel right now in the body? And I could feel the squeeze of fear. So I'd put my hand on my heart and I'd invite myself to go right to the epicenter, very gentle, exploring, feeling into where's the real vulnerable clutch in there, breathing with it. Um, you know, sometimes when people are investigating, uh, they'll, they'll ask questions like, well, what's the worst part of this? Or um, how long have I been feeling this? to, And then come back into the body and feel the vulnerability. And then with nurture, the deep need of the fear was to feel absolutely bathed with love, absolutely bathed with love. And by the way, the final Inquiry and investigating is really what does this vulnerability need? And it's really powerful to ask that. How does it want me to be with it? And so then the intention was from my most awake heart to absolutely bathe that that clench with love, to absolutely just saturate it. And so I, you know, I just really just would be there feeling that wash of tenderness towards this vulnerability. And then there's what always happens when there's that full, a tender presence is an opening, a shifting to a presence that's filled with tenderness. So that rather than being that scared, anxious self that could fail, the spacesuit self, I... What I was was that presence, that tenderness and openness. And the waves of fear could be there. But when we're not identified with them, it's just fine. Mm. So there's really deep well-being. So I wanted to share that because it's current, as in this week. <laughs> uh. And and I don't always, because uh, I've done RAIN so often, um, I don't always have to go, okay, R, recognize. I don't have to do the steps Necessarily um, so explicitly, but the movement from feeling directly what's here and offering care is very deep. It's like whatever you practice gets stronger. I've practiced this so much; it's very quick that I can sense some formless loving presence washing me with love. Mm. That's what I, that's what I invite people to do.
0: Yeah. You know, in the last years of his life, uh, Ramdas, the main teaching, and we did a wonderful thing with Sharon actually years ago. Um, it was around loving awareness, and I know I know you all have picked that up too from Ramdas. You've got he trademarked it too, but Jack and Sharon, you're all using it. Anyhow, it, he it was so important to him. Because the our general ego spacesuit doesn't allow even for an intention to come in,
2: mm.
0: a correct intention mm. right it it is uh, the way in which he described to just move from this this judging story mind that we all have and just pull yourself into the center of your being, which. Soul, spiritual heart, Buddha mind, all the same, whatever anybody wants to call it. And from there, the I, I think I think that rain should happen from I think people need to like get out of here right away before they even think of going in there and, ta- and draw inside through breath or, or mantra or whatever, into that place, because that place is devoid once you're there in, in real presence, it's devoid of that judgmental mind, which is always double thinking. Intention, what intention? I don't know, I, I have intention, I'm afraid, you know. So uh, I, I would just say, like in the, the first, the recognition part, um, that to me can be a, 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 an issue for people that are so uh, habituated to judging themselves. And uh, anyhow, I'm just throwing that in there. The, the, I'm getting the Ram loving awareness uh, practice into. Yeah.
1: Well, well, they certainly are synergistic. Mm. What I have found helps people when they're stuck is to be able to start where they are and not try to get somewhere else, because that's usually more selfing. But to start where they are. And in the moment that you say, well, what is happening? There's a little more freedom because there's an opening to a larger sense of presence that is witnessing. So it's it's a beginning movement, just asking the question. And let's say judgment is there because we work. I, I do a lot of rain on blame, <laughs> and I'm
0: rain on blame.
1: Yeah, and I'm particularly feeling its importance right now because we we're such a culture of contempt. We're so divided. There's so much hostility. There's so much attributing to the other side a kind of badness that deepens the divide that my sense is that both in our personal lives where we have blame and also in our political and social life we really need to dedicate to waking up out of it because it perpetuates the war so when we do rain on blame we ended up we start with judgment and when i find myself for instance um i started doing it I remember very explicitly when we, were, when we attacked Iraq and I was so filled with blame and anger and hatred at the white males in power in this country that were uh, deciding to bring us to war and so aware of the, the cycles of violence that that would create. So every day I'd read the newspaper and I'd be outraged and angry and blaming. And then I would do a version of RAIN where I'd say, okay, recognize. So there's a lot of anger and there's a lot of judgment right here. Okay, allow it to be here. Just, just let it be for now. And then start investigating, well, what am I believing? You know, what's going on right now? And I'd find that I was believing uh, that there was going to be a lot of damage and harm. And really the feeling was fear. So then I'd start opening to the fear and I'd just really let it be there as fully as it was. And I'd find under the fear there was grief, that I was really grieving the loss of life and grieving the pain, really, of of this whole violence that we were in. And then when I'd open deeply into that, I'd find my care, my love. And so through that process of... Tracing back from what appeared to be judgment, but going right inside it and inside it, I could find that it was really coming from care. That was the deep. That was the source. That was the gold. And by opening to that, there was no longer a judging self. There was just a caring presence. So I do. I'm responding a little bit to what you said, Raghu, and maybe in a way I'm offering another option on how to think about it. That you can start where you are. You can start with the judgment and you can find embedded in it deep down is a caring, but it kind of got torqued by our fears. And so it left us in a spin, the spacesuit spin, but you can come out of that and it does require coming into the body and feeling the vulnerability that we were running from.
0: Yeah. Um, I think, Another word that needs to be in there because we're talking about that fulcrum that allows you just to make that switch okay out of the spacesuit into more truer part of oneself and recognizing the caughtness and recognizing the the resistance and, and all of it so uh courage mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. beautiful thank you.
0: Uh, yeah so uh, that that's uh, such a huge thing and we um we have a famous story. So you may be the only one that doesn't know it on this podcast because I've told <laughs> it so so many times but I don't care because it's it's such a fantastic story. So Krishan Das who I think you know who he is anyhow uh he went to see Neem Karoli Baba uh in in mumbai actually it was a very unusual thing he went there and he was actually hanging out with him uh, at somebody's house and there was indian devotee there and who's translating and so on and suddenly out of the blue maharaji he looks at Krishnadas, and he goes Krishnadas, courage is a very important thing and goes, going yeah. <laughs> And the devotee, longtime devotee, Indian man said, but, but Baba, it, it's a guru's grace. It's all, This. Is, what are you talking about? And Maharaji looked at Krishnas and, and said again, courage is very important. And Krishnas would tell this story and say, my entire life when I got into that uh, fear stuff that we're talking about right now, I remembered that and it has saved me because Mm -hmm. I realized I have that in me because I got the intention to transform. I have that. Mm -hmm. And so that courage just completely turned him, you know, the idea of it and the practice of it turned him around. And uh, so, yeah, I I tell that story all the time because I think it's really important and really part of, of what you're talking about.
1: Deeply part of the path, and thank you for that. It's it's really a beautiful a beautiful story. I, I often think about how our deepest longing is to wake up. I mean, we really really want to embody that love and awareness. Um, I have a, a prayer I do every morning and every night, and it has to do with you know, moving through the day with an with open-hearted awareness. With And I'll think ahead of who I'm going to see or talk to and just to try to anchor the, 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 the seed it, you know. And I sometimes have that inquiry, please teach me about kindness, you know, really. And then at the end of the day, when I'm going to sleep, I kind of review the day and wherever there was open-hearted kindness, it's kind of like, oh, you know, grace, beautiful, thank you. And where I see the dearth of it, um, a deepened intention, not a not a judgment. Uh, so I love bookending my day that way. But the intention there makes it so that I'm more willing to be vulnerable as I move through the day. Because the it's like in talking with you right now. The only way to to be authentic is to really let my heart feel that a tenderness in in what's flowing with us. And it's not as comfortable as having preset stories and teachings that I'm going to just like dole out. But I think that as we wake up, we our lear- longing to wake up is stronger than our longing to stay safe. So we do have that uh, greatness of heart, which is what courage means. We do have it. It's in us.
0: Our longing to wake up is more profound than our, penchant to hide.
1: Exactly right. <laughs>
0: yes,
1: because the, who we really are is the awakened awareness. And the spacesuit self is a temporary illusion of who we are. So the mo- the truth is the, the freedom, the awakened heart.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, uh, when we talk about rain, and then when we get to the to the last letter, which represents what nurture.
1: nurture, nurture, right,
0: nurture, and then we talked about love surrounding the fear and allowing it to be. That's the only way you can be with it. And then some people might think love, you know, and because we know love is a transaction, it's a business deal that we've got going, including our mm. family and our, you know, wives and everything you know, and can end up being a business deal. It's funny. Sharon Salzberg was, uh, we were at a retreat and I think we were talking about just this subject. And she was like, people think love you talk about love that you're weak
2: mm-hmm. in our
0: culture. That's as a weakness. And, uh, you know, everybody of course laughed about that, but, how true it is that uh, we don't have the right uh, nomenclature for a lot of the things that we're trying to share. And this is certainly one of them and a difficult thing. I, I think that, I mean, I was lucky and Ramdas and Krishna, you know, those of us that, that went to the East and met this being, which was kind of an immediate, okay, that's what that is. <laughs> you know, we understood. And, and of course, Sharon and Jack and Joseph, they all discovered it through, through the practice and through a, a couple of Deepama, one, one of their teachers, which is just an incredible loving uh, example of a human. And so, yeah, I think we need to talk a little bit about how to bring that in. That is, that um, cuts through the common definition that we have in our heads and hearts about what that is, because it's so much reciprocal. If that reciprocal isn't there, we don't understand it. Uh, you know, cause maybe we, maybe we did get that when we were, you know, babies and, and, and very small children, but maybe it got lost and we still can't identify. it. And that's why we're out pursuing the perfect other to nurture that in us. So, how do we how do we nurture that tara
1: well one of the things that has been most compelling to me over these decades is how do we really awaken nurturing how do we nurture ourselves how do we awaken that heart with each other how do we discover the field of loving that's beyond any notion of a self loving another you know that that's been like really compelling and sometimes we start with the less mature forms of forgiving accepting and loving and and build and and build from there and so i'll have people and you know that i'll, I'll be working with and, and i'll say can you offer kindness to that place and inside you that's vulnerable and they'll say i have no idea how to do that there's no kindness in me to offer you know and because For all of us, when we're really scared and when we're really reactive, we regress and we become young and we actually need to feel some holding from something larger. And that helps to reconnect our brain and reconnect our being. So there are times we do need to be held by that longed for other to help us remember the field of loving. And I can speak for myself in that. I remember one retreat. I had just come off the holidays with my family. When I got to retreat, I realized with, you know, I was just kind of slammed by the recognition of how lacking in presence I had been and how I had just been in my own swirl, um, preparing for a retreat and this and that. And so I felt the sense of that unworthiness, that deficiency. And I tried to, you know, offer myself kindness. I tried every trick I knew in terms of just be kind to yourself. Nothing worked. So finally, um, I got down to that deep place in me, this very young child that was just calling out, please love me, please love me. And so I gave voice to it. I just started weeping and saying, please love me, please love me. And I was calling on something larger. I didn't know what, something formless and larger. And um, I, I... what I sense is there was so much um, porousness in that prayer. And when we pray from sincerity, we get very porous. We get able to receive. And John O'Donohue put it this way. He said, prayer is the bridge between longing and belonging.
0: Mm, so I, needed I, love to
1: pray for, I needed to pray for love. And I felt... As I did that, I felt this kind of sacred presence just kissing me on the brow. And there was a kind of a disillusion and just a becoming that presence. And what I realized in in retrospect was that it was really my own awakened heart, you know, loving this, this small vulnerable place. But I needed a bridge, Raghu, to get there. It was like I needed some way to reconnect with that. And the way was to reach out out of that longing and prayer to that formless presence to rediscover that that's what I was. And since then I've done it, um, you know, the whole understanding of we create these neuropathways with practice. I have so often in some way bowed my head and, and just asked to feel... that that loving presence, that now it's very, very quick. Like I just, there's just a very slight remembrance of that longing. Then I feel some sense of a wash through or a kiss on the brow. And then that dissolving and re-recognizing, that's really what I am. Mm. So when I work with people on nurturing, I invite them to experiment because I feel like this last... You know, I'm 66. These last decades have all been an experiment on how to remember and come home to loving, how to remember and come home to that awareness. But we each have our our little pathways, the words and the gestures and the images that help to dissolve the sense of separation. And we just all need to explore that and customize it.
0: Customize it, indeed. Oh, um, I think, uh, you, you started to go somewhere, Tara, that was uh, leading me inside. We're a little early, but uh, maybe in a few minutes, uh, I really have to get you to lead us into that space because you were going there. Mm. (laughs) I was going there, but I wanted a couple other things that I want to talk to you about first. So I'm going to ask you to do that. But, um, uh, one of the other chapters is, uh, releasing negative self-belief. So I, I like to work on the things, uh, mind rolling's is all about a life in balance and that can't happen of course, until you, uh, accept that the transformations will take place and it just requires openness, but it requires self-reflection. And, uh, I, I, I love this, um, you talk about the trance of unworthiness, right? So I have to tell people now, I understand what you're saying about the trance that we all get into, which is a, a trance basically of ignorance. Um, but just as a, a side thing, because I'm happen to be in New York working on a, a film, our next film for Love Serve Remember uh, around one of our mentors. It's uh, who was, he, was completely He was a, an, a, a very high yogi, but he completely effaced himself. He was a headmaster of a boy's school up in the town that we used to go to up in the Himalayas. And uh, he uh, used to go into samadhi, which is a deep, deep absorption to the point where he had no pulse or breath. And he was one of Ninkaroli Baba's example of oh he'd like look at him bang guy would be gone man would be gone and he would just like laugh and say why well, what's happening to him you know it was I mean we were just little kids so he he had a good time with us okay with all of this but anyhow this man was extraordinary and he was the first person that we learned about mindfulness from that you know. His teaching, he wasn't really a teacher per se, but he he was living in it and he shared that with us, which is what a teacher is. Mm -hmm. And um, so this is a deep aside and I'm really sorry about it, but when I've been working on what is trance, okay? So there is a trance that takes you into the awakened place that is that place. And there is another one, which is uh, the one we're talking about, which is the trance of, of ignorance. And in this case, unworthiness. And you say, why are we so loyal to our suffering? So addicted to our self-judgment. But, uh, you know, why are we so loyal to this suffering? It's amazing.
1: So when I speak of trance, I'm speaking of a very narrowed, torqued uh, reality that we're living in. And it's a, a looping of thoughts and feelings that keeps our lives limited. And pretty much all of us know what that's like when we're in it. We might not notice we're in it at the time, but we know that when we're living in a lot of worry, you know, the word worry comes from strangle, we know that we're tight. And we know that when we're living, um, when there's a lot of anxiety, that our heart's not open to uh, ourselves or others and so on. So... To wake up out of the most familiar trance states where we're, let's say, down on ourselves and anxious and busy becomes critical in spiritual life because those we can spend days and decades caught inside these beliefs that something's wrong with us. So one of the one of the ways that we use rain regularly um, is when we're caught in some sense of personal deficiency. Um, just like we'd use it with blaming another person, where we pause and get, okay, they're suffering here. Let's let's spend a little time with this to see if we can untangle the tangle of trance. And to recognize, for instance, one woman I was working with was, and this you'll find in uh, Radical Compassion, mm. uh, was kind of caught in that sandwich, the generational sandwich, and she felt like she was failing her son and failing her father who was in a nursing home. And every time she'd visit her father, she was anxious to leave and he'd feel it and he'd be kind of guilting her into staying and so on. So she she was, she was basically confessed to me she didn't feel like she was a very loving person anymore. She just really felt walled off. And I had her do rain with that and to recognize, okay, feeling unloving, feeling deficient and allow it to be there. And I asked a question that is really important. I got this from Sokni Rinpoché, Tibetan teacher. That isn't—is it not possible? This belief is real, but not true. And what I mean by that, and I want to share it with you all because it's so useful, is it's real in the sense that it's running through my brain, and it's real that it's creating feelings in me. But it's not the truth. There's a larger truth beyond the spacesuit thoughts and the spacesuit feelings. And so by just even asking maybe, is this real but not true, puts a kind of wedge in the solidity of our belief It allows us to open to the light of a larger truth. And I'd ask her that and then we'd begin to investigate how her body was living in this kind of prison of feeling bad about herself until she realized, and this was what was so powerful, I asked her, how long have you felt like you were failing other people and she said my whole life i always felt like i was letting people down i always felt like i was failing and i asked her well what's it like to recognize that your whole life you've been down on yourself in this way and how much it's what what's the effect of that and that's when she began weeping and i call those moments like an ouch moment where we're contacting truth and letting the realness of the suffering really be right there in an intimate way, and that's what brings a kind of healing. Uh, it's a soul sadness, and so for her, she had that soul sadness, and then she was able to nurture. Then she was able to, you know, ask her, "Well, what is that part of you that feels like a failure most need to know?" And she said, "Trust, trust, trust your goodness. Trust that you love." And In those moments of nurturing, she was able to, again, the the separation falls away when we start nurturing. And she could feel that loving presence that was who she was. And then when she went to visit her father, it it was really cool. She was really much more relaxed and they had a lot more fun and exchange. And when she left, he didn't ask her when she was coming back because she had really been there. That's the effect of untangling the tangle, is we get to actually show up for our lives, be intimate with ourselves and each other.
0: Yep, yep, yep. Uh, And you say the old skin that's the most difficult to shed is our core belief that something is wrong with us, okay? That's 100% of everybody, okay? Until you are, until that's happening. Uh, and uh, yeah, that we are deficient or flawed. Uh, and uh, you know, this stops you say, this stops people from having intimate relationships, generates ongoing anxiety and depression and fuels addictive behavior and causes harm to their loved ones. So this particular, this thing around unworthiness is a, Uh, I mean, I, I recognize it in my day to day, you know, and we're similar milieu in terms of how long we've been on the planet. And I've been at it for a long time as well, you know, and sometimes I look at it and when I'm maybe a little bit more lost than I maybe usually am and go, is this possible? (laughs) This is possible. You know, and then I have to, I use Ramdas a lot because, you know, we used to talk all the time that he's not there for me to do this anymore. It's such a, uh, a loss, but um, part of life. And uh, he used to say, wow, how did I get here? <laughs> yeah. <You know, laughs> It was more he put that humor into it. And by the way, we have to have include that. That's so important. You know. Oh, I remember when I
1: wrote about the trance of unworthiness, my first book. I remember I went on book tour and I went to Naropa and they had a huge poster of me announcing the workshop and Mm -hmm. the the line underneath said something is wrong with me and it was my this is my entry to a to a new community <laughs> saying something's wrong with me
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's so great
1: but it is so true what you say it's so core it's like the most core and primitive response we have to existence is something's wrong if there's any sense of separation the primal fear of the separate self you know that's the mood that's there separation equals fear And then what happens is as we develop these egoic minds, it's not just something's wrong, something's wrong with me. It refers right to this living being here. And I think it's really probably the center of most people's spiritual path to wake up from that, the feelings and beliefs of something's wrong, and really to trust the gold. I, it, you know, for me, the, the, even that language, trusting the goal, trusting your goodness, it's one of the deepest prayers and deepest potentials we can have. Because in the moments that you really trust the purity of your heart, and you really trust the, the wisdom and, and awareness that's living through you, there's no other. There's nothing outside you. You are that field of awareness. Trust frees us.
0: My favorite topic is, one of my favorite topics is trust, mm. you know, and, and I, I, I usually point, to, there's so many different ways that we can engage with trust that leads us to that place you just talked about deep inside ourselves, intuitive um, reality, and it can be a piece of, for me it was, I mean, unbelievable as this is, when I look back on it, it was John Coltrane, okay Mm -hmm. playing my favorite things in a club in montreal in a six i don't know how i got in i was 16 17 years old they served alcohol but i was very determined because i loved him and i just went out and in that moment i had such trust for that place that Mm -hmm. came absolutely naturally It, it 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 had no it had no um form that i was trying to look to to transform anything cuz i didn't know anything and that and so it's all available it's tr- it's a book it's a teacher it's a piece of music it's a a meditative experience it's a psychedelic it's all of it and and i think i think it's good for people to know that once you identify with that trust then it's the beginning of being a, of of the connection to intuitive awareness i would call it
1: exactly and you can deepen that trust consciously and the way that happens is any moment of really sensing enough and sensing presence and sensing love get familiar with it um, it's really the familiarizing with that that sense of freedom and tenderness and awareness and and the, and even on purpose, just saying stay and just be and what's this like? And because they describe it so well in in neuroscience that they, it's a fleeting state. It becomes a trait when you've spent some time with that experience, and really uh, your wisdom mind recognizes this is more the truth of who I am than any story I could ever tell about myself.
0: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we don't have much time left, but, the, um, and I do want, uh, you to, uh, lead us in a little meditation, but, um, in the book, you do talk about other and how we, um, unfortunately revel and it comes from the deepest part of our history and DNA of otherness and that other boy, we got to get rid of that other. I mean, we're all doing it every day, aren't we right now? And, uh, so uh the 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 thing to me is that and as we're talking about trust and as we're talking about loving presence loving awareness uh, being able to uh absolutely care for our fears for our suffering in general um and you there's such a great story here that um you you tell about um where is this Uh, it's about the priest, right? Father Gregory Boyle, Mm. you know, and how he's in his office and Mm. he's got to go through do a baptism, but somebody comes in who's very, very upset, who's uh, addicted and has been a prostitute and so on. And, uh, and she just, he couldn't go anywhere, but he always had in his mind, geez, I got to go do this thing. And he couldn't just be present or I'm just uh, characterizing this briefly. And, um, and then she just, her shame was just overwhelming. And, um, and he says, I had mistaken her for an interruption. Wow. I mean, I just related that to myself. because I have a lot of incoming stuff going through the foundation and all the work that I do. And how many times have I considered that somebody is an interruption and how, how much that hurts when you realize it, you know, most of us, you say, no, what it's like to be on our way somewhere else to assume that whatever's happening here is just an obstacle to move through. And it becomes an interu- interruption. And and uh, I think you say, I have a favorite saying in, in, posted in my office, to be kind, you must swerve regularly from your path. That is great, Tara.
1: Yeah, I have it posted right up there.
0: Oh, I love that.
1: Oh. Yeah, well, I my sense is that we're, out of our fears, always on our way somewhere else. You know, we're always on our way to the next thing, to the end of this interview, or to what we have to do tomorrow, or whatever, and the only place that we ever find love or freedom is right here, and with each other. We tend to see each other's unreal others. You know, when we're caught in our trance, others are just the spacesuit. We don't see who's looking through. And so, one of the most profound practices we can have on the path is to intentionally look to see who's there. Um, one, one of them, civil rights icon, amazing woman, uh, Ruby Sales, she describes meeting somebody, and, and in some way, her heart's asking, Where does it hurt? You know, can we can we look at each other and know that the other, just like us, is a vulnerable being that uh, struggles with uncertainty? And then the other practice, equally important, is can we look at, into each other's eyes and see the goodness? Because we're not just learning to trust the gold in here. It's the gold. It's our shared gold of of loving awareness. And so if you just make your intention with each person you're with just to pause for a moment. And one trick I sometimes use, Raghu, is I'll actually look at the color of their eyes. Because if I tell myself, well, what color eyes do they have? I will. They will then stop being an other because I'll start sensing the consciousness and the realness that's there. Uh, we need to see the goodness in each other and we need to remind each other because it's the greatest gift we can give to others to help them to trust their goodness.
0: Yeah. Beautiful, Tara. So would you lead us into a a few minute meditation? It'd be my pleasure. Wonderful.
1: Yeah, well we'll do we'll do a light rain together since it's such a, a natural and I invite you wherever you are to take a few moments to find your way to stillness. Let yourself be comfortable.
2: Perhaps take a nice long deep breath. And then another. And
1: sense with the out breath, you can let go of any unnecessary tension or tightness. Maybe scan through the body for a few moments as the breath resumes in its natural rhythm and notice where there's any part of you that might want to let go a little right
2: now. And the invitation
1: is to widen the scan to your life and sense if there's anywhere that you're holding against yourself, any background of, of judgment or blame, not something that's traumatic. Where it's huge amount of self-forgiving needed, but somewhere that you're on your own case, where you might feel cynical or harsh towards your own self. might be some way you've been behaving in a relationship with somebody important to you, might be an addictive kind of behavior,
2: something to do with work. And then let yourself focus in
1: on this. Maybe there's a situation that most exemplifies where you've turned on yourself. If there's somebody else involved, see their face and their expression, hear their words. Or if not, just sense the setting and sense what's going on and begin by recognizing so, what's coming up
2: in you right now? What's the most predominant thoughts and feelings that are looping around when you are turned on yourself? So you're recognizing your own version of blame or judgment.
1: And for now, let the intention simply be to allow.
2: That so you're just letting that all be there. You're willing to pause. Not trying to fix, not trying to get rid of,
1: just letting be for now. And it's this pausing that will allow you to deepen your attention in a wise way, to begin to investigate. And you might ask yourself, well, what am I believing
2: when this is happening? What am I believing about myself and my life? And when I'm believing that, how does it feel in my body?
1: Sense what the worst part of this is and how how it feels in your body. And you might check your throat, your chest, your belly. And wherever you feel more vulnerability, you might gently place your hand there to help keep the attention there and breathe with what you're feeling. You might sense, so what's the worst part of this? You know, if I'm acting this way or being this way, what's the worst part of that to me?
2: What is it that really disturbs me about this? And again, feel how that lives in your body.
1: Let there be a willingness to contact it, a courage to directly feel the sensations, the felt sense,
2: so you can feel the part in you that feels judging or judged. Feel what goes with it, maybe fear or shame, anger.
1: You keep breathing. Touching what's there. You might ask that place in you that's distressed, what is it most need right now? What is that part of you most need
2: to trust or remember or know? And as you ask that, see if you can listen
1: and witness. From your most awake heart, from the
2: wisest, most loving part of you, listen to what that part needs. It might need and be asking for love or for
1: forgiveness or acceptance, just to let it be there.
2: Perhaps understanding might need to feel embraced or accompanied.
1: Whatever you intuit, sense from the most awake part of your being that you can offer that right now. You might experiment offering it with touch, perhaps where your hand might be touching your throat or your heart or your belly.
2: Just let it be a very tender touch so the touch itself communicates care. And there may be a phrase, some words that you can offer, some message or reminder
1: that could bring healing to this part of you. It could be as simple as, I'm here, I'm staying with you.
2: Or right. I'm sorry and I love you. Or it's okay. It's okay, sweetheart. sense that voice really tender. And if
1: it's hard to offer the care to yourself, you might imagine it coming from whatever source you most trust could be a grandparent, or a child, or a
2: dog, or a spiritual figure. Hear the words and receive the care from some trusted source. And for these next few moments let your intention be to open to and receive what's needed. And for these last few moments now, letting go of any doing, just to rest in what's here, noticing the quality of presence that's here. The wakefulness, the tenderness, the spaciousness.
1: And perhaps sensing the difference between the spacesuit identity of the judging self or judge self to this awareness that's right here, that's more the truth
2: of who you are. You can rest in that. Trust it. Namaste, and thank you for engaging and for your attention.
0: Beautiful, Tara, so beautiful. You know, we just had a an hour-long chat about, and we were talking, I was picking out all the stuff that interested me in the book particularly. Never once did we say the word compassion. I'm just, at the end of this, I'm thinking, wow, the whole thing was about compassion, radical Compassion, right? But we never said the words. That was—it's pretty interesting, I would say.
1: I thought of it too, and I realized we were talking about the content of radical compassion. Yeah. But just for your listeners, the reason I call it radical compassion is it's just the full maturing of compassion, which means that it's embodied—that there's an actual felt sense of tenderness, that the caring is active, that we want to actually help others to be relieved of their suffering and that it's all inclusive, that we're not just compassionate to our this friend or this neighbor, but that it really includes all living beings.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would also add, you get to a point or a place where you realize you do not have a choice and it is coming from Way deep inside you, and it—it it admer- all of the blockages, which is the work, which is—we've been talking a lot about practice, right? We do need to do that practice, and uh, this this compassion will emerge when those blockages start to dissipate, at least to some degree. Right? So beautiful. Um, okay. Dog is behind you. I have to say this. Okay, and I know is it his or her? Her. I know her name, I think. KD? Yeah,
1: yeah. Krishna Das, KD.
0: <laughs> I was with him last night, Tara. Yeah. We were having dinner, and I said, you know, I, um, I'm um, i reading Tara's book and other material, and I said, do you know that she has a dog named KD? <laughs> <laughs> he said, well, find out if she named it after me, will you? I said, I highly doubt that, Krishna Das. Well,
1: between Katie Lang and Krishna Das, yeah.
0: <laughs> Katie we decided
1: Lang. that her name really means cute dog. <laughs>
0: so,
1: but Jeez. it's a mix of of, of loved, loved beings. Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, that's so great. I'll let him know. Well, thank you so much for being here, Tara. And all, all of, um, well, can I make you a promise to come back?
1: I would love to come back. Mm-hmm. This is totally a delight. You're uh, just wonderful to kind of be in this flow with and you know i feel very much of a belonging with all of those who are part of this
0: yeah wonderful thank you thank you so much so this is mind rolling on be here now network go to beherenownetwork.com and you can find a whole host of tara's friends over there and uh and as i said we will have show notes that will include links to everything to uh obviously to the book and Tara has a couple of other books to the podcast that she does. And, um, everything that we've talked about, we will link you all up. All right. And again, thank you so much, Tara.
1: Totally. My pleasure. Thank you.
0: Namaste. Blessings.
1: Namaste.